Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about distinguishing a biblical counseling approach to confrontation from that of a secular model. But before we jump into that content, I'd like to remind you, as I do every week, of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from what you're hearing week after week on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Uh, while I'm on that subject of uh, the website, chrismoles.org, we've also been talking about you know, comparing secular models of confrontation with biblical models of confrontation. And uh, we certainly want to see more and more options for individuals. And so if you're a man who identifies as abusive or you're a church or a biblical counselor who's walking through that process with someone and you'd like a little bit of extra help, I'd encourage you to check out menofpeace.org. Uh, look into the Men of Peace digital course, the self-paced course, uh, and you can find out more about that at menofpeace.org. All right, let's jump into the conversation today. So we've been talking over the last several weeks about comparing and contrasting kind of biblical models of care and confrontation with uh, secular models. The question, it's uh it's interesting we've been able to build three episodes off of this question. The question was, how is the Duluth model different from what you do? And uh, I, I do think on the outset, I have said this, and uh, I'll say it again. Early on, uh, in my introduction to this work, you know, several years ago, uh, I was trained in the, the Duluth model. Uh, I think there is a lot of benefits uh, to locally run, run Duluth model programs and certainly the CCR that we talked about in a previous episode. And um, one, of, one of the things that was brought up at PeaceWorks Live uh, a few weeks ago by, uh, by Greg Wilson, uh, something that I really appreciate is the three types of men that he has worked with in a uh, counseling setting, in a clinical practice. Um, one being open, uh, an individual who's willing to participate, who's willing to learn, who's willing to apply the homework and make changes. Um, the second being resistant or reluctant. And that individual is still someone that you can work with, but you have to roll with the resistance, um, as it were, uh, helping them, giving them opportunities, pulling the rope, as we like to say. And then there's men who are hostile. And um, hostility to the work is probably best suited for one of these secular environments, especially if there is criminality or uh, civil protections in place. And so if I haven't said it in a previous episode, I, I want to clearly state it now that if you're getting into this work and you're addressing couples within your church that are caught in destructive or abusive relationships and you're trying to hold individuals accountable and they are hostile to the process, it is not something they're willing to participate in, perhaps working with civil authorities or a local batterer group would be your best step to uh, provide that level of accountability uh, for somebody who is um, not just reluctant or, um, you know, resistant, but somebody who's hostile to the work. 
Uh, in this episode, though, I, I do want to talk a little bit about me personally uh, because I, I think, and maybe I'm maybe I'm overreacting. I don't know. It's hard to measure um, the the concerns that folks have, both about PeaceWorks or me personally, or about the work in general, and trying to balance. You know, is is it just a reluctance to step into the work? Is it fear? Is it distrust? You know, what is the church's reluctance to to do this work? And and I think overall, as I interact with churches and do trainings, and I was just at a training last week, and I'll be heading to one uh, at the end of the month, you know, I, I think ignorance is a big driving force. I think fear, uncertainty, mystery, when it comes to these cases, are all part of the hesitation. And we want to support that. I think education is a big answer to that. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why we do what we do is to educate the church and to help the church move forward. Uh, but when it comes to me personally, I thought it might be helpful just to give a quick rundown because one of the pushbacks that we get, and I don't know if this is within the framework of, of the question that was submitted, you know, how is the Duluth model different from what you do or what biblical counselors do? But I think it might be important to note that sometimes uh, some of the negative feedback that we get um, is in regards of who we work with. And um, I can't tell you the number of phone calls I've got from within two two groups, um, within the church, believe it or not, and outside the church. So within the church, I've received phone calls and criticisms about uh, the people that I work with. You know, uh, how can you work with so and so when they believe such different things than you? Or how can you work with uh, secular groups when they promote, you know, whatever it is, Marxism or critical theory or what have you? Uh, the other side of the coin is, you know, um, secular environments. How can you continue to work with believers? Or how can you continue to work with the church when they do such a poor job? Or even other Christians who go, how can you work with conservatives? Or how can you work with, um, people that are in a different tribe than us. And and I think that has been one of the great joys of this experience of all the years of doing this work, but it's also been one of the big heartaches is the tribalism regarding domestic abuse work and the silos that have been built. And understandably so, like I, I get, no one is denying uh, some of the theological and philosophical differences. We've talked about them in previous episodes. Uh, what what I am reluctant to do is to say, well, this group can't participate or this group can't be effective or this group can't have a place. In fact, we need more people. We need more responses. And yes, I want those responses to be um, honest. I want those responses to be biblical. I want those responses to be framed uh, in a framework of the gospel and transformation. However, um, I, I can't nitpick about how those responses um, are played out unless I'm intimately involved in all of those. I don't think any of us want to be intimately involved in every response. And so um, some questions come to me about, you know, what we teach at PeaceWorks Live or what we teach at PeaceWorks University. And I just want you to know I am a a biblical counselor. That's kind of the framework that I operate in. Um, Who am I? Well, that's how I try to function has been, you know, historically. Uh, I was first introduced to biblical counseling in 1999 
as an intern at a small church in Southern Ohio. Uh, since then, I pursued ACBC certification, which some of you may know is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, as well as uh, IABC certification, the International Association of Biblical Counselors. Around 2008, um, I knew and my wife knew that I needed more training, that my training was incomplete and uh, I was really getting overwhelmed with caseloads and, and problems within and without the church, you know, inside and outside the church. So I pursued my Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling at Faith Bible Seminary. Interestingly enough, I was uh, vacillating between just doing a local program uh, here at our local state university uh, or pursuing biblical counseling. And I'm so glad I pursued biblical counseling because that MABC ended up really honing and enhancing uh, how I do work and how I do biblical counseling. And it also brought all these connections into my life um, and friendships that, that I value today. So with that being said, you know, as a biblical counselor, I do believe in the core doctrines uh, of the faith when it comes to uh, Christian orthodoxy. Uh, but specifically to biblical counseling, I do believe and affirm the sufficiency of Scripture, that Scripture is sufficient, that everything we need for life and godliness right, has been provided to us. His divine power has given us everything we need uh, through the knowledge of Him. I believe that the Word of God is good for um, correcting and rebuking and so on. So I do believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. I don't think the counselors or the caregivers are sufficient in and of themselves. I think the Word of God is sufficient. I think Christ is sufficient. Uh, and also believe in progressive sanctification, that what's one of our designs as believers is to change over time, to grow closer and closer to Christ. And so that's how I function in whatever world, you know, at least I try, in whatever world I find myself in. Second, I'm ordained uh, by the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I think that's an important um, piece to the puzzle as well, uh, because I do think there is a misconception among some within the biblical counseling world or about the biblical counseling world that we're all from a certain uh, theological stripe, that you're either Baptist or Presbyterian, or you're Reformed Baptist or Presbyterian, or you're Reformed in general, or what have you. And there are some of us who kind of fall outside of uh, those different denominational uh, or theological spectrums, and we find ourselves kind of in a different place. And you, you will find folks um, within the biblical counseling movement from the CMA, from the missionary church. You will find some EV free folks. You'll find folks that are uh, from Calvary Chapel backgrounds. And so there is a, a, a diversity to us uh, as biblical counselors, and that's one of the rich things that, that I value. Uh, and I do believe that we should be operating in theological diversity in this work because I don't think we have time to nuance everything. We need to keep the main thing the main thing, especially in restorative and justice-based ministries like this. So I'm ordained with the CMA. Um, I think this is valuable because, you know, even though there's only a handful of us in the BC movement, the biblical counseling movement, I do think we bring a unique perspective. So we bring that doctrinal diversity, um, varied spiritual practices. I tell people that the CMA is kind of like Neapolitan ice cream. You never know what you're going to get from church to church sometimes. Uh, and uh, we're accustomed to functioning in the wider evangelical world. In fact, I remember early on, um, well, a few years back, we, we had a new pastor at the Nazarene Church in town. 
And so I went over to visit. I wanted to introduce myself to the new pastor and uh, see if he needed anything. Uh, luckily, he was from the area, so you know he was well accustomed to the the area. He was just coming back, and he was excited to meet me. And he said something along the lines of, "Oh, I'm so excited! There's a CMA church here." Uh, and he had worked in a larger city, and he said, "You know, the CMA church that was the only place that the we could get the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians to meet." And uh, that is just kind of part of our story, and it's one of the things that I love about uh, the role that I get to play sometimes within church communities is to be a go-between, to be somebody who tries to build bridges theologically. And we need Presbyterians at the table in domestic abuse work, and we need godly Pentecostals at the table uh, to do domestic abuse work. We need all hands on deck, and we can nuance and debate our theological differences um, in other settings, but we can agree, if we can agree, that the scriptures are sufficient and that people are called to grow and change in the Lord, then I think we can work together to see violence reduced in the church. I think the third marker that's kind of important that distinguishes me just from a general secularist, right? So it's like, what makes your approach different? I think the first is I'm a biblical counselor, so I value sufficiency and progressive sanctification. Second, I'm, you know, um, a little bit more um, out, an outsider as well as an insider being in the CMA. And I'm, I'm kind of used to bit bridge building and conversations with people that are different theologically, although the same uh, when it comes to the gospel. And then lastly, and this one's going to strike some people as bizarre, I'm, I'm Appalachian. I'm very, very Appalachian. So uh, through and through, right? So my people have lived in these, this particular part of the country uh, for a very, 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 very long time. And while some may see that as a deterrent or a detriment, I think it also has served me pretty well in this work um, because with all the division and the tribalism uh, in the world, I think we would all do well to have to work together and worship together and eat and pray in our communities together a little bit more. And I think in smaller places around our country, you you have to do that. You kind of have to be together. It's impossible to completely hide from each other, um, and it's dangerous to segregate. Um, you wouldn't get anything done, right? So it's hard to find enough of your people to create critical mass, and so you kind of have to have a diversity of thought, believe it or not. Um, and so I, I think those things are important to me. Like Those are things that I value, you know, where I'm from, where I've landed in the CMA, what I've chose to be a biblical counselor. And all of those, I think, are uniquely in, intertwined with this work that we do. And so when the question comes up, you know, how, are, how is peace works or how is a biblical counseling approach different from a secular approach, we can go down the trails we did in the previous weeks, which is important. There's foundational differences. There's philosophical differences. There's definitely theological and practical differences, right? But there's also a real rich opportunity for us to develop our own responses, our own teams, our own processes to say, you know, yes, we have to operate under these guidelines, but it doesn't have to ostracize everybody that we could potentially work with. And I think that's a value system. That's all I'm trying to say. I think one of the values that we have developed at PeaceWorks, one of the values that I think is has been essential to biblical counseling since its early days when the Presbyterians and the Baptists 
you know, work so closely together is this willingness to care for people in spite of some of our tertiary or secondary disagreements. And, and I think that's more, that's needed more today than perhaps ever. And I do think that's part of our DNA here. It's part of the framework. I think it's what makes domestic abuse work a rich expression of biblical counseling because you will have to share space, time, energy, and discussion with people that may be outside your tribe, especially if you live in a smaller community or your church can't do everything itself. And I, I would recommend against that. I don't, I don't like churches doing everything in-house. I think it's important to diversify your team. And part of that diversity is diversity of thought, theology, philosophy. Um, doesn't mean that we have to compromise our beliefs or uh, doesn't mean that we have to change our church polity. Uh, but it does say something about us and our heart for people that are suffering when we encounter expertise and we use that expertise despite the fact that they may uh, have a different mode of baptism than us, their uh, preferred scriptural translation may be different than us, their procedure of worship may be different, uh, but yet they believe in the gospel, they believe in Jesus, they practice the sufficiency of scripture, they walk in sanctification. Those are important um, ways to lock arms that can help individuals grow and change and be safe. In fact, I, I'm not sure the church is going to be the safest place on the planet if we continue to exist uh, in our tribes uh, rigidly. I do. I, hey, I'm part of groups. I want to continue to be part of groups. I've talked about a few groups that I'm part of, those that I'm part of voluntarily, and those that are just kind of part of my identity. Um, and that's important. Uh, but they are not who I am, right? Uh, they are merely expressions of, uh, of who I am. And so uh, we'll continue to operate from those foundational elements. We'll continue to operate from that philosophical position, and we'll continue to lock arms with people um, uh, who are willing to, to see the church become a safer place. So, yeah, the biblical counseling is quite different than a secular model. Uh, there are similarities. You can listen to those previous episodes to find some of the things that I think we could benefit from. Um, but more so, I think it's important that we stay committed to those key elements that we started out with and then also uh, lock arms with individuals that we believe can help uh, create that climate of safety and sanity. Thank you guys so much for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. I hope these few episodes have been helpful. Uh, if you want to learn more uh, about PeaceWorks, you can find us at chrismoles.org. If you uh, have been enjoying the PeaceWorks podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, follow whatever the platform you're listening on uh, uses to measure that type of uh, engagement. Uh, once again, thank you all for being a part uh, of the podcast today. And until next time, God bless.